You're listening to part two of Natasha's chat with Dr. Francine Ritchies. For your artistic talent yourself, when were you aware of that? Is Was art something that you loved to do even as a child? Yeah, well, my inspiration for art came from my uncles, especially one uncle. And he used to do carvings, you know, bow of nuts? Yes. And he used to do um, sketches with charcoal because we didn't have a lot of materials and things, resources. Yeah. So, And then I saw the way that our old people made artifacts, you know, really yes. nice ones. Yeah. And then how they painted themselves up, Yes. you know, for ceremony. But what really got to me was all the art on the, on the body and, you know, it was all there. You know, and it really intrigued me. Yes. <laughs> and, and I guess it stayed with me, you know? Yes. So, and then in my 20s, I started to paint. And then I, and I, I didn't go, to, I mean, I, I did a bit of art in high school. Yes. But I didn't really think that I could go further with it until I started doing some in my early 20s. Yeah. And, you know, I started doing painting and I said, oh, that looks all right. And then it went from there. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can recognize your own talent, hey? But there is some um, in my family, in the Davy family. There's some. Um, there's a few artists, you know. I've got cousins up there that that are really good. Back I was just going to ask you: Does it run through your family? Like you yeah. talked about, you've got a lot of siblings. Do they it love runs, art as well? Yeah, they do. But it runs through the bigger, broader family, like yes, um, the Davy and IQ family, and <clears throat> you know, so. Yeah, it runs in the family. And then from my husband's side, he's he's an artist too, Tony. And yeah, so that, you know, we've both been able to s- supplement one another and help one another. And Absolutely. And have yeah. you seen, because I know you're a mother of four boys. Yeah. Have, have, have they um, also sort of found artistic talent within themselves? So they're more in the sporting space? Because I know they love their sports too. And you know, their music. Yeah, the They've got the music, the sports, and um, other things, um, but they can all do art. But one one of the one of the sons has taken it further, and now he's selling his art. You yes. know, Luke, my second son. Yes. But they can all paint. You know, and in in high school, you know, Billy, my oldest one. You know, he did his first landscape, and he was able to sell it. You know, <laughs> straight away. So they got it there. They just got to tap tap into it but, but um luke's doing really good and he's selling lots of his paintings so yeah, yeah he's got his own style <laughs> amazing that that's that's so good and um i know another big passion of yours is to help people who are grieving you know people who have been affected very deeply by suicide yeah so and you use um your your work in arts and doing a bit of therapy in arts yeah for people in that area yeah, well, I, um, like I mentioned before, you know, I went to uni, did my PhD, I researched um, the therapeutic part of doing art and how that mingles together. So I was able to put that down. But then also going and doing extra studies to become an art therapist. So, yeah, you know, and so I've been able to do some of that. And I actually run um, online art therapy with, with families and children or just individuals, you know, and and there's a lot of grief. 
especially yes. with COVID, you know, we know there's a lot of anxiety and grief and, and mental health has just skyrocketed, you know? Yes. And if I can help in some way with my counseling, I use the arts as a tool for expression. Yes. So, you know, I'm doing that now where I'm actually getting people to, I'm, I'm doing counseling with people, but also using the arts because it helps them to just unwind and they're telling their story via whatever art piece, you know? Yes. And it's happening. And, and you know, with suicide, it's just, it's horrific. And, and, and it is. And really sad. Thing. It, it continues to um, unfold and, you know, a lot of hurt. It's just people are not even getting rest from funerals after funerals, you know? You're right. And they're not, yeah. able, they're not able, able to process that grief because the next one's there. It's like big waves of grief just coming at people. And, you know, and yeah, I'm... I've been working with people or developing little little sessions with people so that they can start understanding what they're going through, how to, you know, understand how they can go through grief. Yes. And um, more needs to be done, you know, just being with people, going to the grassroots level, yes. sitting down with community, not just going in there and doing your stuff and going out. You yeah. are building relationships. Yes. You're building relationships with the families, the people, they don't want you to just come in and go out. Yes. They want to know that they can trust you. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I think government has been pouring so much money into this thing. And it, are we seeing any trends where it's actually working? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It so, comes back to that relationship that you talk about, you know? Yeah. And, and so often we have, and I've discussed this with so many different people that I speak to in my circles. It's about, look, when, when services come in, they're pitched at, at, at the wrong level. They're, they're pitched at, at not where the person's at, but where the service thinks it should be at. Yeah, it should be the other way around. It should be the other so way around. Start from the bottom up. Yes, yes. It's like people coming into, researchers coming into a community and just looking from the outside. You've got to go and feel, feel what the people are feeling. Yes. You know, you've got to empathise. You've got yes. to really put yourself in their shoes. Yes. Otherwise, it doesn't you're, work. you're wasting your time. You are wasting your time. You know, when you do your artwork, you actually see people almost like really getting into the zone? Yeah, well, I could give you an example. I, yeah. I did a <coughs> counselling and art therapy the other day. Yeah. And, <coughs> you know, I firstly, I get... I got the person to um, tell me about what was happening so they're able to verbally say it. But then then I'll tell them, well, I want you to tell me through your art. So just I want you to do a painting or a drawing or a scribbling. Yep. Just tell me how you're feeling. Yep. And you know, the amazing thing is the body will come into action. The body and mind will come together. Mm. And, and this person said to me, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to do this painting. Yeah. And this person just did this painting. And then after she, after this person cut that yep. she, she thing out, yep. after this person um, looked at the picture that this person saw, oh, I, I understand now. That's my grief. But then there was other things that this person did. Yes. Oh, there's... You know, this light, this yes. little light beaming, even though there's this grief. So that a lot of people 
lot of the clients, they describe their, their pain in different colors, you know? Yes. And they'll, they'll put something else. There was another client where I had came and just painted this little box-like ge- geometrical picture, and it was all in little, little boxes. And that person said, oh, that's me. I'm sort of stuck. I don't know how to come out of that. Yeah. But slowly, each session we did, you know, we went for probably a month, doing lots of different sessions. But then she started to see movement, you know. Yep. She started to see movement from those little blocks where she placed herself in, where that person placed herself in. And um, and then at the end, I I got this person to have a look. Look at the art. Look at what you've done. And, and you know, you could see where there was movement happening towards understanding your grief yes. and anxiety and your loss and then, you know, coming out of it slowly, moving out of that, you know? Yes. So yes. that's amazing. Every time I have someone come and I'm, I'm working with them, I, I just, I'm just amazed, you know? Yes. What, what can happen, you know, doing that yeah. ex- expressive um, therapy, I call it. How good is that? And the other one you do as well is deep listening? Yeah, well, that's the main thing when you're doing art therapy is you you have to empathize. You've got to listen. And I, I always use the bees, you know, in, yes. in, in my country, where you have to listen to the bee, the sound, to find the honey. The, the honey. So you've got to listen. So with people, <laughs> you know, with, with people, you've got to I listen. I love that. I love that story. Yeah, so people, you got to listen so that you can help them, you know, because that person's got a lot of goodness, you know. You've got to look for the spark. Yeah. Spark in someone's life, even the ones that have been, you know, into trouble. I, I, I used to work with a lot of young people um, coming out of um, the justice system in Perth. And um, you know how people just didn't want anything to do with them. But I, I believe in second chances. Yes. So you, you, you look at the flame, you look at the little spark that's in them that could yes. really motivate them to just come out of that, um, you know, their, their situation, you know, just mentally they're just stuck. But you yes. give them that and you just fan that flame and it'll just produce a big, beautiful, yes. warm. It only takes flame. a spark to get the fire going. And, and you, that's what we have to look at with people. You've got to look at that. Look at them, you know. Look at something good in them that will change them. Yes. Yeah. When we 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 desperately need that in our communities, eh? When you've got people who are traumatized, mm-hmm. people that intergenerational trauma has impacted people, and I think I'm only coming to understand some of these things honestly as a mature age woman, Francine. I don't yeah. know that I previously had a depth of understanding. You know, yeah, about impacts of our history, and it's just the more that I look around at people, and the more that I see people struggling, and the more that I see the chaos that goes on in our community, I just think, look, people are just trying to survive here. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, growing up, we we just lived our life, hey, and um, yeah, even though our old people went through so much trauma with you know assimilation and dispossession and all that. Yet we were, you know, they were resilient and um, and that passed on to us to be strong. Long as we got our family with us, you know, long as we're in country, we're right, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Yes. But even now there's a lot of problems with the youth, you know, and and I think with trauma and other things that's happening in their lives, it's it's manifesting in the way their their behaviors are now, you know? Yes. What they're doing. This this you've got to look at the root cause of these problems, not have band aid effects where you just do this one and that might just alleviate those problems. You've got to spend time, you know, with these young people. You know, spend time with them and listen to them. Listen yeah. to what they're saying, you know? Yes. They could be just acting out what yeah. they've been going through, what their traumas are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But there is also a family breakdown, right, where mothers and fathers haven't assumed their responsibilities as well. Yeah, you know? well, it's, it's that handing down where they haven't had the good parenting from the, you know? Yes. From their parents. Exactly. Yeah, and then there's so much influence from the outside, you know? Yeah. So much influence and, you know, with alcohol and drug abuse, well, that just accelerates everything, you know? It, it does. It does. Yeah. You know, so what I what I also love about, I know you, you operate your own uh, business called uh, Specialized Indigenous Services. And, you know, the wonderful work that you and your husband, Tony, are doing is, is also something you're, you're being a real help to other people, but that is also something that is a livelihood for you. It's a business for you, isn't it? Yeah, well, um, well, there's a bit of both. There's ministry, so there's just basically being having pastoral care, right? But then there's an, an extra element, um, you know, where, yeah, you, you're using your skills to basically... Be employed, be engaged. Yeah, yeah. Like we've, you know, to do with the Christian work, we've had to um, create our own income. Yeah. You know, and that happens with a lot of people now. You know, you, you can't just apply for funds to do yes. this work because you'll never get it. Yes. But, um, you know, so we've had to have our business to, and that wasn't the main thing. Our, our main thing was doing our service, our ministry, you know. Yes. Um, and that supported us. And it was a way that God blessed. Yep. And um, used that. And even though we've got, you know, got a website now and um, a lot of people can have a look. And, um, you know, it's still there. I mean, we yeah. had one before. We just upgraded it. Yep. But, um, but that's not everything to us, you know. Yeah. It's about service, right? Your main thing yeah. for you is your ministry. It's your ministry, service to people, and, and, and to help people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, in regards to the business, business side of things, because I've just come back from the West Kimberley not too long ago and got to talk with really amazing women over there, Francine, who are getting into business. They may not be there right now, but all their thinking is so clear, you know, about how to get it done. And we ended up getting yarning about it, me and my colleague. And we were discussing about how it looked like the West Kimberley women had a lot more business acumen or thinking or concepts already firmly, firmly in their mind. And we were trying to sort of think about what that was and maybe it was the influences that Broome and the Peninsula and other parts of the West Kimberley had influences, whether that was Japanese or Asian or Chinese or whoever was coming in. And they were, they've already were doing business for years and years, their families. Is that your experience? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying with the, with our mob, the body and dowry people. Yeah, there was always a trade happening. Yes. you know we had um, Timorese. Actually, my my grandmother's grand grandfather was 
um, you know, East Timor East person. Right. And, um, but you know, there was a trade happening years before yep. my time and before my grandparents' time yep. where they'd come over and trade with the people, you know. And so rice was like already a staple diet for us, you know, when I was growing up. Yes. And even before that, you know, and so there was that business. Bari people always had that business mentality. The only reason why the government allowed us to go back to establish one-arm point or Ariulun yeah. was we had to come up, the old people had to come up with a business plan. Yes. And so they did that. You know, they came up with, oh, we're going to do a fish meal factory. We're going we're gonna to do that, you know, the fishing industry. And so that's the only reason why, and, and from divine intervention. Yes. Um, so the old missionary came back and took the body people back. And I was one of those recipients of going back as a child with my grandparents. Yes. And setting up camp on the beach. So our old people always, you know, made it very clear to us that businesses, we have to learn to survive in this world too. You know, we can't just not yes. do anything. And we can't just wait for government handouts. Yes. So there was always that, you know, there was always that teaching behind. And so, and I think a lot of the people over in the West Kimberley, I've had that handed down, you know, and even in, in, in some of the other missions there where, you know, they had market gardening going, you know, like Beagle Bay and that, you know, they were they were selling um, bread and making all that kind of stuff, cool drinks and all that. They always had it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my uncle, he was, <clears throat> um, used to make bread, beautiful bread in Beagle Bay, you know. Yeah. And so That's he, the best fresh bread. <laughs> yeah, he, he had his, so they, were, they always had the business-minded um, yes. Ways and um and I think that comes that is coming through when you see these beautiful young ladies now, you know, taking that on and 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 the men too. There's some men and they're running their own um, tourist business. You're not really encouraging to see that. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're taking people out um, out country and teaching them about you know cultural ways of hunting and other things. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, well, I was just talking to Rosanna the other day. She's got her, what, Sunday, Sunday Ulan, Island tours? Ulan tours. Ulan tours. Ulan, yeah. Amazing. And I've seen some pictures online, you know, and I just yeah. said to her, look, I have to come on one of those tours with you. It looks yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, she takes them through the Sunday Island to um, Running Waters, which we call um, <coughs> Gurungangun. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a beautiful place and a beautiful you know, to share that with people. Is there anything there on Sunday Island? Does it have infrastructure? There's old buildings yeah. um, in the old mission that's sort of... They're not livable. They're just basically... Not living. They're, they're still there. As remnants. Um, Sunday Island is um, heritage listed, so it's a protected island. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, families could still go out and camp and take tourists out there. Yeah. Amazing. It's a special place. Yeah. You it know, is. I was fortunate as a child going back there and living there and then moving to one on point. Yeah. So how long do you reckon you lived on Sunday Island for? It wasn't long because I was born in Derby. Yeah. And then I think as a baby my parents my mum anyway and family, we went back and forth, you know, holidays and that they still camped on the island. Yes. And then I remember as a five-year-old traveling back with my grandparents, with uh, the missionary, back to One Arm Point, and 
And then from there, we moved out to Sunday Island for probably two or three years. Yes. And then that wasn't working out, so we, the elders decided to move to One Arm Point and establish the community there. So that's what happened. Yeah, amazing. And so I was talking to someone the other day, Francine, about how the fact that, because I, I operate like obviously full-time in business, which I, I started in my 40s, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, but, but the thing is, this is becoming like a hot topic now where they're sharing this information with the 20-year-olds. Yeah. I mean, you can pick it up in your 20s, you know, or even younger. <laughs> yeah. 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 Isn't it amazing, though, that, that that's yeah. something that I came to know so late in life? Like, I don't know when you started, because you've been already in business for a long time, much longer than me, but mm. it was a new concept for me. But I love that we can share this information and knowledge with these yeah. young girls coming up and actually have them think in a different way because most of our people are trained, I think, to just be an employee. Yeah. Rather than thinking, I actually can sell my skills and talents, you know? And I can share all these beautiful things and, and gifts and abilities that I have with the world. I can make a contribution. I can make a living out of it as well. Yeah. And, and I see, I don't know whether you see the same thing, but I see a rise in all these Aboriginal women who want to do businesses. Yeah, they definitely can see the picture. And, and you know, with um, the social um, media platforms now, you know, like yes, people can get all the help, you know. They can learn a few little skills and just apply it to what they already know and what their families taught them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then, then market market their, you know, products and the business. So it's an exciting time. It is a really exciting time, and that using that social media platforms is making them highly visible, right? Yeah. Whereas, for example, I don't know that social media was really big 10, 20 years ago. No, no, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't even uh, now. Everyone can know what everyone else is doing really easy. You can do your own marketing quite quite easily just on a Facebook platform, which is free. Yeah, definitely. You know, so that's that, that's what I love doing, and that's so you know that's that's turned into a bit of a passion of mine, which is so ironic because when I set up my business and I offered four services, of which business was one of them. I wasn't expecting to offer any business services because that was my weakest service that I was offering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you've certainly been able to, um, you know, put me out there as well, you yeah. know. Tap into that space and, and have some of these camps. And I've just, I've just loved them. I know yeah. we've only done two, but that bringing together and planting that seed for me has just been, you know, so exciting. Yeah. Join us for part three of Natasha's chat with Dr. Francine Ritchie on the next episode. Stay connected with us by following Kimberly Jiggers on all social media platforms, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, and share the podcast with your family and friends.